the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC on ESPN 34 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. Hey yo, what's up? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. And the list is where you can find over at MMA Junkies, well as OddsTrickerUS.com. But on this year program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're gonna do here today tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's for the fight. Gordon, this Friday morning for uh, uh, Las Vegas Pacific time, specifically for UFC Vegas 51. Check the timestamps for when that starts from top to bottom. I will recap my picks for that, as well as the two Bellator fights I'm going to cover from Bellator 277 at the end. As per usual, that will be recapped with the plays at the very end from top to bottom as well. Always in that order because, uh, you know, energy is a premium, so... I gotta save the good stuff, and really, it's 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 kind of like the top half of the cards is what I really broke down. I know I never really, uh, I say expedited, and I can't remember the last time I, I followed through on that on a 45 minutes to less. We'll see. I feel like I could recap the uh, you know last card for 45 minutes, which I won't because like everybody's fucking talked it to nauseum. That's the problem with doing shows later in the week. So uh, it'll just be a recap to start that, uh, and then um, it'll be. Uh, you know, the, the quick uh, top two Bellator fights, which I have in-depths over uh, up at MMAJunkie.com, as well as in-depth for the main event on UFC-wise as well. Luke Muhammad up there at MMAJunkie.com. Uh, plays are up at Checker, which I'll recap over here. Not much of a difference. Again, keeping small spreads, not nothing too crazy. And, and uh, you know, uh, trying to practice discipline as we should on weeks like this. You know, it's not such it's a, it's a tricky week. We'll get into that. Um, and that's it, you know, we're... Uh, I, I, you know, not that sports, but uh, you know, it's not much room for much else when you're when you're doing this beat right now. So, um, let's just try to get through this as fast as we can. I hope everybody is well, um, and swell. Uh, all right. Um, yeah, UFC 270 recap, 273 recap. I'm sorry. Uh, by the way, shouts to everybody who uh, supports the show at the PYM podcast. And uh, all that stuff. Actually, I'll get to that in a second. Um, yeah, UFC 273 went nine and three overall picks. Not bad. Not bad. One and zero in our solo parlay that we had going. Pretty good. And uh, three and one in props, which is really good. Could have been four and zero, arguably. We'll talk about that. Um, but uh, yeah, let's let's go over. Let's jump over to those uh, r- results, shall we? Um, Alexander Volkanovski defeated Chan Sung Jung. Uh, cashing that inside the distance prop, uh, probably one of the more confident ones. Unfortunately, as a Chan Sung Jung uh, TKZ, the Korean Zombie um, fan, that was that was sad to see. Um, although I will say, and you know, got to be the you know, we and 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 especially me, we'll we'll take shots. Um, you know. Uh, and you know, at refs, and we always you know complain and this and that, and it's like, well, we got to. Congrats them when they do a good job. And even though uh, everyone deserves, you know, second and multiple chances and a, and a chance to, you know, explain themselves and 
yada yada yada. And Herbie Dean seems like a great guy, but it just I we've seen so many bad stoppages, so many unexcusable ones, a and so many where he stood behind um, when he had the chance to be like, yep, this this, and he he stood behind it, and which is a problem, which we'll talk about. Of people making poor or maybe not the best decisions in the moment, not realizing that me, myself included, we all should be raising our hand right now. It's a human thing, but it's also a human thing to feel like you got to defend yourself and double down on your points. So that plus the whole safety issue, and you guys know my gripes with commissions to uh, city, you know, to city regulators, OSHA, all these governing bodies that are, are, you know, uh, that work under the guise of safety and are really just justifying a paycheck. And making it difficult for you to do your job. Uh, and I'm not talking about like legit safety stuff. I'm talking about bullshit safety stuff. Of course, folks. Um, be safe out there in, in many regards. You don't need a dummy like me to tell you that. But yeah, it's... um, it, it You know, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of those bodies, right? And I'm trying to realize these things. And, and when they do good things, to do good. And, and be nicer to the judges especially. Um, and more understanding for their job. Um, which we'll get to. Uh, of course, but yeah, I, I got to give props where it's due, man, and Herb Dean, that was a good stoppage, more refs need to do that, um, you know, um, you know, uh, even refs we like that are experienced or whatever, you know, uh, wasn't, you know, as bad as like that Benoit St. Denis or whatever, at least he's like DeSantos, but you know, Mark Goddard, you know, going through all the hoops, and you could tell he, his heart was in the right place, and he was almost constrained by the rules, but sometimes... Shouts to um, Sean Sheehan, who I believe said this on his podcast or on Twitter. I can't remember. Um, but page note this as well when we get into the rules discussion, right? Is that I believe Sean said sometimes it's okay to color in the lines if you're coloring in common sense for the sake of actual safety because that's your actual job. I kind of added in and character and colorized the last part, but essentially... Um, you know, Sean was saying something along the lines of, you know, common sense is all right to apply within the uh, criteria rules. Because if you look at the rules, um, you know, I mean, ref, ref can stop at any time. But uh, it wasn't like uh, one of those things where, like, you know, he was getting bombarded on or this or that. And it shouldn't need to. He just took a bunch of damage, was clearly concussed. Um, the corners aren't going to stop it. And... I'm definitely with you guys as far as criticizing the corners. It's not that I'm not. I just don't. And I do believe it, it is part of their responsibility. Um, at the end of the day, it is ultimately their responsibility. But in the corners' defense, um, when they say, I, I don't fully agree when they say their job is just to win the fight and nothing else. Um, I do believe that's their primary role is to win the fight. But because of that privileged position, you also have to protect your fighter. Another P word there, protect your fighter, right? Um, so obviously that's it's it's the onus is on them as well. I just kind of inherently put less because to be fair, and we can argue about what the fraction of the pie looks like or should look like. Those are two different things, both very much up for argument, right? Um, the fact is they have to share their piece of the pie with a another priority. You know, um, it shouldn't over priority safety at the end of the day, but it is another priority nonetheless. Whereas the lone priority. Um, for these officials is protecting the fighter. So that's why I may be a little more uh, critical on them. And th that's also why, uh, you know, for right or wrong, it's definitely not right, but it, it is the state of things. Um, I don't expect the corners to stop it. So 
that's why I, I, I put extra onus um, on these doctors and ringside officials and, and in-ring officials to do it. So massive, massive props to Herb Dean. I'm more than happy to have done the thing where I send out the tweet and then immediately proven wrong. I, that's why I hate like talking shit. That's why it's not my style because I'm, I'm I'm that guy. I will, I will get called out for these things. Again, back to kind of my my luck thing. <laughs> I don't I don't like to. Uh, yeah, I, I've I've got that kind of luck. Um, but I'm more than happy to eat eat shit on a tweet and cash a bet and have a fighter's safety looked out for at least somebody, which is seems seemingly seldom the case in this game. Aljamain Sterling defeated Peter Yan. Um, I wanted to rewatch this one before getting on here. But uh, it's been talked to death, and I didn't have time because there's just that's another thing. It's like it's so hard. Uh, I can only turn the page. I only had time to watch one round. Which you guys know which round that is. Um, you know, uh, I I thought the round was uh, for round one was close on an initial watch, but I was admittedly distracted and um, probably still coming down off Chamaya uh, Burns um, a bit. And then round two, uh, I agreed with people saying ten eight and got some pushback on that. And without getting back too much into this hole and, and, and the arguments and this and that, um, under the way fights have been scored and this fight was scored, of course you could have made an argument for Peter Yan here. I picked Peter Yan. Hearts out to you better. I'm not trying to you know say I told you so when I was like, oh, fucking glad I missed this. I was just so blown away by what I was seeing. Props to Sterling, which we'll get to. Um, I was just happy that I wasn't getting burned. I don't know why. I don't know why. Like I said in the podcast, I don't know why I didn't end up playing this fight. But I just I didn't want I didn't want to have action on it. Did not want to have action on it. And the so the price the I don't know what it was. Like like I said, I, I, I go back and listen to the podcast. I, I laid out the matchup in depth. But as far as why I wasn't pulling the trigger, I was drawn blank, man, and I ended up being blank. Thankfully, I guess for my sake, right? Because again, I would have been on the young side with y'all. And my heart's out to y'all. Um, this was more, you know, I, I, this was more just, and I'm not going to sit here argue, oh, even though I did score it for Sterling and I don't think it's a controversial score at all. Um, my, my whole thing, which I know like others like fighting the good fight, shouts to uh, Scott Fontana um, out there, you know, making sure to tweet that where that 10-8 change came from. I know Sean Sheehan did a video on it. He's always, you know, doing videos and being a vocal voice in, in multiple mediums is much appreciated. Um, but, uh, you know, I, and I know, like, you know, I, I think people like Sean are so used to the rules and, and so familiar with it by now. I don't believe he scored it a 10-8 or it wasn't an issue for him because he he's, he's again, very aware of these changes, which the 10-8 one was an unofficial one. It's, it's kind of off the... Books both Dana's criteria toward it, or you know the unofficial Dana thing about it, and also the unwritten part where the three Ds is now emphasized as far as you don't need all three, but the one you really do need present um, in regards to grading a p potential ten eight is is the damage, right? Um, and that's fine, but it's like you gotta know that and be able to pull the trigger by it and. These changes, official to unofficial, coupled with Dana's meddling, um, has clearly meddled with the 10-8s. Now, I was upset with Dana as far as that Jan Izzy 10-8, which wouldn't even have affected the fight score, by the way, or didn't affect the fight score. But it, it shouldn't have been a 10-8, you know. Uh, it was kind of, and we'll talk about, like, uh, you know, judges were more 
um, app to pull in the trigger for 10-8, which is fine. We'll talk about that uh, coming up as well with, with a fight from the card just before that Eon Izzy fight. Um, uh, from a judge who I, I don't have, I'm not putting the Chris Lee curse on this guy because that was the last time I said something about a, a good about a ref, you know. And then Chris Lee went off and just started like going on that slew of bad decisions a, a year or two back. Uh, but Eric Cologne, I feel like I'm in the majority of more than most. And when going back to watch a lot of these as of late, trying to pay attention to judges and their tendencies. I don't have the numbers in front of me, uh, like my guy Scott uh, over there on Couchside Judges, but you know, I try to pay attention to these things. Because we usually pay attention to the, the judges we disagree with. And believe me. <laughs> I do feel like I get the same names that pop up for mine too, folks. Uh, believe me. But uh, again, to be fair, you know, we, we got a we got a great um, all things there. And again, you know, it just like with everything in life, which is pissing me off about all all this stuff. Whether we're talking about this fight, another fight, or any other topic that's not fights or not, is that everybody has to be blue team, red team, my team, your team. Um, no nuance, no acknowledging of the other person's point, speaking in absolutes, like all shit I fucking hate. And I, I love you to death, but if you're doing it, and I've called people out on this recently online, I'm just I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to, I've got too much shit to go under in the day. I've got too much people that rely on, um, me, uh, my opinions. And the part of the reason why I was itching to get back in, in my little break is because I realized how little people actually research their opinions. Um, which is a new should should be should not be a news flash to anybody, but it's very disappointing when it's um, anywhere from my colleagues and contemporaries, or whatever in the media, to uh, the broadcast um, itself. Which um, shouts to my guy um, John Anik, who always fighting the good fight. Um, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I always try to make sure to make those those notes there again you know easy to criticize we, we got to give credit for uh the good stuff being done too and it's just this either or shit is just really upsetting upsetting you know um it's either people don't know the rules or which is the majority which makes the minority and i love you guys uh, but it makes the minority people actually do know the criteria lean so hard into the criteria and i get it because you have so many people that don't get arguing tertiary um tertiary uh round criterias like aggression and octagon control and the bullshit that's been drilled in our head and i get like trying to fight that noise it's still necessary there's still legions of people who don't understand the criteria much less have ever re read it and so i get that frustration keep fighting the good fight um you know, don't take this criticism to heart but what i even find about that side which again i'm, I'm more in line on the side of people on the criteria fighting the good fight not hating, but again, with everything in life, everybody is so one way or the other. Um, that you know, we're you know, we're just like, oh well, no, it's not a ten eight. Uh, if you know, if judges, if it's if it's if you're wondering if it's a ten eight or not, then it's probably not a ten eight. And da 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 da, and and all these things that have been repeated. And um, look, they haven't been giving ten eights. So you guys shouldn't be surprised. And it's almost you know, it's like okay, I get it, I get it. You're right by saying all those things, but again. Back to the common sense point, um, that even a, you know, uh, uh, shouts to my guy Sean, uh, a rule stickler himself, uh, cited in regards to the Herb Dean stoppage. Sometimes you have to f use common sense because, and this is also again to to, to continue shouts to the people fighting the good fight. You know, uh, Dan Urban, uh, Scott Fontana, Couchside Judges. Why well, I really appreciate them saying this, uh, Scott especially. 
saying that, that, acknowledging that, even though, you know, you know, you can accuse media of their biases or overleaning this way or that way, uh, they readily admit that there are, are, are problems in the criteria with interpretation. And I've had people push back on me saying that for years, uh, especially toward the grappling. And I think what that round two in Sterling and Yon really showed is that, okay, well, if back control, it's kind of a point that I've been bringing up, it illuminated a point that shouldn't be new to you guys since you've been listening to this podcast, is that they're both written and in practice. And when I say in practice, I'm you know just looking at rounds and assuming what's being scored and what's not, and as well as the explanations for people defending said scores or their same said scores, so they're defending that, right? It, is that <clears throat> sorry? Sorry, I'm losing track now. <laughs> I apologize, folks. Um, fucking very barely any sleep this week uh, coming off it, but um, either or. Oh, is that yeah? The, the, we we lack metrics as far as grading grappling, and when you try to compare the criteria for a round two and and for the people making the argument on why that can't be a ten eight. Well, then essentially the backpacking rounds and control, you know, a grappling round with that. Uh, and, you know, if you're not doing anything striking or submission, you shouldn't get a 10-8. I'm not saying just because you backpack, you should. That's not what I'm saying here. But what people, you know, if you're following your own logic and, and the criteria's logic, you really look at it um, objectively, it really doesn't, it really lacks the tools to grade grappling. Um. And you could say it does, but we really don't put an emphasis on it. You know what I'm saying? I've seen people put more emphasis in their arguments for grading rounds for people striking when they have their back taken than the person taking the back, which is A, ludicrous, and B, especially ludicrous that I'm just seeing more and more people counting strikes when you have your back taken as something. You know? See, um, what was it? Yannakunas, I Ketlin Vieta again. I'm trying to cry over spilt milk there, but that was just a justification, which I didn't get. Uh, I'm much more okay with that fight for the reasoning of, you look at it, it didn't just cause superficial cut damage. There was hematoma damage. There were some quality elbows there. And when you have an inactive round, it does leave the door open. And if I'm going to cite that for, for for fights that I'm on the right side of, like William Knight and Alonzo Menafield, well, I got to cite it for the, the fights that I'm on the wrong side of, which is why I changed my tune on that fight but I do bring that up because I, I, even though I changed my tune, I still don't agree with your explanation not being, um, f- you know, with your explanation including something uh, as silly as punching when you have your back taken. You should not be getting credit for that. You have no leverage from there. Um, to me, that shows people who, not so much that doesn't train thing because I'm good about that. I don't think, I feel like I've ever... You know, for all the things I've fucking been snobby, put my nose up in the air, like, <clears throat> I'm never one to say, you have to fight, you have to train, you have to do, but sometimes I just, I, I almost wish people did because I feel like it's missing when we'll get to Torres and Dern in a lot of these these striking rounds. I mean, what's actually landing? But, uh, but yeah, um, as far as the tools and stuff for grading a 10-8, like, I, I feel like it was fairly common sense and... What was upsetting to me more than people that didn't know the criteria was the people that were the did know the criteria shitting on anybody who was grading it a ten eight, even though there's first there is fine justifiable reasons even within the poorly worded criteria for it. That's what I don't like about this either or bullshit, and that's why shouts to uh, 
Shouts to my dude Scott F for um you know, for God forbid acknowledging nuance, right? God forbid for not just saying that the rules of these refs or these judges are infallible. I mean, we should be easier on them. I need to. I am trying to. I am trying to spread the good word and better myself because of these said rule sticklers who I shouted. Don't get me wrong. But that doesn't mean that these people are infallible. Doesn't mean the rules are infallible. Doesn't mean we can't criticize or critique things that clearly have gaps and lack certain tools, whether it's for scoring, you know, which I, I agree with, uh, you know, uh, the Sean Sheehan's of the world when they say, like, forget about open scoring or whatever the fuck your opinion is. I don't give a shit. We need to learn the criteria first. We need to all fans, fans, broadcasts to the judges and commissions all need to get on the same page. And fighters, obviously, we all need to get on the same page. Like, there's so many fighters and corners that readily admit and tell on themselves that they don't know the rules. You know? Like, uh, Longo was uh, defending himself. Uh, and shouts to Longo, obviously. You know, uh, fucking... Another another record uh, record in the books for him. He, he he deserves to be proud of. But you know, Longo was saying in the lead up, like to try to like default blame. Like I wasn't telling him to you know do that to take the belt. Like as if people were accusing him of that. Like no, they were only accusing Aljo unfairly. Um, but but Longo would always be defensive in all the interviews leading up, and he would say, and his defense was, "Hey, listen." Here's how you know that I basically saying, here's how you know that I didn't tell him to throw it to get the championship. I don't even know what the rules are. And it's like, Longo, you don't want to, I don't think you should be bragging about not knowing the rules. <laughs> but again, this is a sport where, you know, one of the best corner men in the world who can coach all these champions, all these eras to different upsets. Not even that guy fucking knows the rules. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have to know our rules before we get into any half point systems, uh, which I'm not against, by the way. Um, open scoring or this and that you know I, I just think we need to get on the same page as that and give the judges more tools as in the common sense that rounds like round one is not the same as a round like round two and we don't even have to say, change the three d's or the emphasis that damage needs to be the uh mandatory one there right even though that should um even though that should uh be, be, be a written change and adjusted whenever they finally rewrite these things for hopefully not the final time, you know, making it count. Um, and you, you know, uh, uh, I do think the damage should be there. And the reason why I went with a 10, eight and a lot of people didn't cite this, whether they believed the 10, eight or didn't believe it was a 10, eight. That's kind of my, uh, upsetness here is that the fact that people just don't cite these things in their arguments and it just goes in the ether and I'm like, motherfucking bad information just gets fucking spread. Um, and now I forget what I was going to cite. You got to love that, right? No, but uh, but but yeah, it was um, th what they didn't cite was that it was it was the ref going. You got to move, fighter. You got to move. And like I tweeted, like I actually thought Peter Yan was more okay than what the audience and even the ref who was warning him to move or he was going to stop the fight thought. But that being said, uh, again, which we'll get to an argument that uh, I'm trying to keep more in mind of, and people try to remind me of. Fair enough. Well, how about we go with it here? You know, with the judges, same thing with the official. If we're going to trust the judges as far as impact, you know, hey, you know what? It, it may be more serious to the judges than what you saw, Dan. Okay, you know what? Fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I'll remember that argument for, for later because it's, it's, a, it's a more than fair one that we all, myself included, need to remember. But if we're going to keep that same energy, shouldn't that apply for the refs who uh, usually have more training experience and a closer eye on the action technically than the judges, right? Since they're right there. Um, and that guy was warning Peter Young to move to stop, or he's going to stop the fight. So, yeah, um, 
you know, people are like, oh, the submissions weren't that close or this or that. It's it's just like, okay. Um, aside from the, the dismissive attitude that, that uh, towards submissions that, you know, is quietly there and, and, and goes and, and, and quietly builds to the point of, 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 of that I was talking about, of that bigger problem of lack of things to score submissions. But okay, it wasn't the submissions, though, that got me and others going for the 10-8. It was the strikes. And it was the strikes that was got the ref to, to come in close and, and, and give a warning um, to Peter Yan to move. Uh, so that's what sold me live. I don't think it was like a clear as day of 10-8, but I feel like it just crossed the finish line and, and refs or uh, judges should have the tools to grade a 10-8. And furthermore... Um, which again, I'm not against the half system, but would alleviate that having to come and, and, and would make things simpler as far as getting people on the same page. And essentially, you know, to give credit, I know we're picking apart the criteria there, but to give credit to the criteria is there. Um, how about we use 10 sevens, you know, T 10 sevens, for example, um, you know, you can only have to change the language. I don't, I don't have it right in front of me at this second, but essentially the gist of it is 10-7 is, is reserved for a round that, you know, not was just almost stopped, like the 10-8 qualifier, right? For, for um, you know, But a round that arguably should have been stopped. And the typical MMA reference is Frankie Edgar Gray Maynard 1, right? As what, what, what a 10-7 round would look like in our head. Uh, even though I believe no one gave that officially 10-7, did they? I think I, I know. I just that was the last top five I did with Scott, and I can't remember now. Um, too much Dunbar's number, folks. But um, I would argue 10-7 rounds. You don't even need to have dominance like that, right? Um, or multiple instances where it should have been stopped. It could have just been one, like these Benoit Saint Denis rounds or Moicano rounds, where you know it's like someone should have stopped this fight and no one did, kind of a deal. You can go 10-7 there, or you can even give a 10-7 where the fighter who gets the 10-7, earns it, is caught in two submissions. A, uh, I.E. or E.G. Alexander Volkanovsky, Brian Ortega round three. Because even though, you know, regardless, I know the judges can't go back and look at me and see that Volkanovsky actually has good defense. And even though, you know, anything close with Ortega is dangerous, but it wasn't as dangerous as it seemed. And aside from that, uh, Volkanovsky was clearly winning the round. And um, Volkanovski, uh, but, you know, and more importantly, the 10-7, you know, I would go 10-7 that round because it should have been stopped because uh, it wasn't just a hellacious beating at the end that justified a stoppage from the ref. But when the bell rang and the fighter didn't get up, um, you could argue then, oh, it should have been stopped and no one's going to stop it. And according to the rules, it should be stopped when the fighter can't make it to their own corner, which Ortega couldn't. He needed help. I mean, he was lucky enough where he fell into the corner. Um, he pa he got pancaked in the corner that he needed to be in. So he was lucky he didn't have to walk via uh, Eric Anders, Tiago Santos, right? But Herb Dean was right there and watched the corner pick him up, and that's still even enough to justify to stop the fight because the f they shouldn't even be doing that. The fighter needs to get up on his own will. That's why a ref will, even though the round's over, will stop and tell a fighter he needs to get up or they're going to call uh, or, or they're going to call the fight. Right, um, like what is it? Open St. Pru, uh, and uh, what do you call uh, Reyes, uh, right? Uh, Dominic Reyes, um, he, you know, it's a decision, but uh, you know, Dominic Reyes knocks him down at the very end, the bell sounds, and Ovens is like, Oh crap, I, I survived. And the rest remind him, is like, Yeah, you survived, but you got to get up right now, otherwise, I'm going to count you out, and it's going to count as a knockout loss. And Ovens had to get up, right? And then he, he gets the decision loss. And I know judges have to turn their scores in immediately, but 
whenever there's a big action, I imagine they could and should take that extra beat um, to see how a fighter is affected, which we'll get to with the Taurus because, again, it's really subjective, uh, especially when a fighter isn't knocked down, but even when a fighter is knocked down and clearly beat because you still don't know, okay, well, maybe a little less of a question, is he hurt or not? He's clearly hurt. But now the question is how hurt, right? And again, the fighters' reactions, how fast did they get up? Are they off balance? Did they go down? Are they, you know, and if it's not at the end of the round, um, how do they look in exchanges physically? How do they look? Are they even landing anything, much less winning the exchanges, right? These things need to be tied metrics. If you're if you were trying to, to uh, judge a fight, I know to each their own, I'm not a judge, but I, I got to imagine... <laughs> You know, um, so that subjectivity doesn't run around like people. Oh well, it's judging. Judging's a subjective thing, or you know, pound for pound is subjective. Which I'm not even getting that shit. But you know, what I'm saying like, yes, these are all subjective things by definition. But there are foundations that they are built on, and if you respect those foundations and you tether your subjective opinions to actual evidence, you should be fine. We can have a civilized conversation. We could paint a. Uh, a meaningful, uh, you know, understandable picture. But, again, it's, it's one side or the other. There's no, you know, there, there's no nuance anywhere. So, uh, we, 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 seldom, we seldom get that. We seldom get that. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, but, but yeah, we, you know, like, anyways, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trailing off. But, yeah, that could be like a 10-7 round, for example. And if we gave the judges these tools that are already within the criteria, it's not even like revamping the criteria, what I'm suggesting. Um, it's not even like this massive revamp. Like a lot of the stuff's there. It's not, I wouldn't change it. I just would add certain things and clarify certain languages, like, like as far as the grappling. And um, But yeah, it's, it, it's so, again, learn the criteria, yes. You, do, you all need to learn that, this and that. But at the same time, you run the danger of taking it too literally to where, you know, amongst many points I trailed off on apologies, to where you're giving people credit for punching when they have their back taken because that's damage or impact. And it's not even say damage, it's impact. And it's just like, no, no. And now I'm finally hearing people come around to back control and grappling. And what are they coming around to? Strikes, submissions, control the fight. Nope, the body triangle. Now all of a sudden... People are feeling like to overcorrect the steering wheel. You know what? Body triangle. You know? <laughs> Mine's like that old, like, uh, like uh, George Bush, uh, you know, going to war in 2004. Um, and he's like, listen, we got we got allies. And he builds it up. He's like, he, he's like, this isn't that unpopular of a decision. He's like, we got Poland. Don't forget about Poland. Remember that? <laughs> Like, that's what that feels like. feels like everybody's doing the don't forget about Poland with the body triangle. Like, okay, fine. We'll give grappling credit. Body triangles seem pretty painful. <laughs> and I'm not saying they're not and they shouldn't be given credit for. But it's like, that's the thing we're going to give credit for now? How about just the context and what they're, what they're doing off of it and what they're preventing the other person from doing? Why can't we just grade off of that? Anyway, sorry. We should incorporate that too. It's just, it's just funny. Everyone's fucking all over the place. Um, Aljamain Sterling, I was wrong about this fight, and I'm happy to be wrong. Um, no revisionist history there. You know, I, I um, you know, it just looked like he really got some well-timed takedowns, and it was off of Peter Young's aggression because he will get aggressive with him, whether it's grappling or not, and that'll allow 
Aljo to grapple. I did say that much, but again, no revisionist history. I was I was I was completely wrong, and I'm I'm, I'm very happy for Sterling. He deserves his victory tour. I mean, imagine just getting. Sorry. Imagine getting all that shit for. Um. Imagine getting so much shit for someone else's foul. I mean. So many people were talking mad shit on that dude, and, you know, you don't got to agree with everything Aljo says, obviously, for sure, but, like, I did feel for him absolutely in that point, man, and so have your day, Aljo, man, good on you, man, um, talk your shit, King, um, picked him the first time around, didn't pick him this time, you know, should have stuck to my guns, but, uh, just couldn't get, couldn't get the, uh, the risk controls, which seem to really emphasize and come late um, as well for, for Peter Jan. Um, I got to rewatch the fight. I don't got an issue with the decision, but like, just stop fucking learn the criteria. But on the people on the other side, yo, if people want to include some common sense and show their work like I do or others, like, let's stop fucking, you know, religiously defending stuff that's problematic. Okay. Let's, let's come to the middle here, folks. Because we all got to share this fucking space, right? So let's come to the middle, please. Um, but yeah, uh, sorry. Um, Kamzat Shemaev defeated Gilbert Burns. Good fight. Um, very fun fight. Um, yeah, man. Shemaev's got the durability, heart, all those things. Uh, I think people are perhaps... Um, I don't know, like... Again, re-overcorrecting the steering wheel because they, they they were high on him, and I picked him to win here. Um, but you know me, I I, I did it. I didn't, I didn't bet him. I did it reluctantly, so because you know me on hype trains and everybody, you know, jerking it over home shot over here. And um, yeah, man. But so maybe it didn't have that effect on me, where I was actually I came off more impressed. Um, you know. I, I'm still, I still never was, and I'm still not, especially now, excited about throwing him right into a fight with Usman. But you know, it's no secret Usman's uh, reaching toward the end. His knees uh, haven't been in the greatest condition for a while, and um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see what the matchups go like. I really could care less who they match him up with. Um, I don't have a strong opinion on it. Just, you know, I, I wouldn't mind Colby. I, I, that'd be cool, but I don't, I don't really care to argue it. All right, here we go, guys. Mackenzie Dern defeated Tisha Torres uh, via split decision. Um, yeah, I. Uh, this is tough, man. This is tough. Again, when you go with impact or um, the, you know, that kind of just obtuse, uh, borderline obtuse interpretation of the rules where you just take it literally and you almost are contrarian hipster about it without trying to be. And I've been accused of being in certain fights with, like, again, back to, like, the Will Knight or Menafield. And those fights I still stand by, whether I'm on the wrong side or the right side, is when you don't do a lot, you leave the door open for big, stupid actions to steal the round. And you guys know how much I love big, stupid actions stealing the round for the more technical fighter who probably should have rightfully won the round. And I feel like this is a case because... There was actually a lot of action to judge. And the 
justification I'm seeing from people I respect, which is fine. You don't have to agree with me here. I stated my bias, but again, it sucks. Why do I always got to... With the Sterling one, I probably should have watched because I didn't bet it, and I was going to do the judges going to judge column, uh, but I just, didn't, I just didn't have time this week. Love those columns. Shout out to Matt Wells. Um, and it would have been a good one because I didn't bet it, right? Uh, but at the same time, you know what? I, there are so many... Betting is such a popular thing in general that so many journalists... Uh, some that cover and, and or submit their scores regularly, they made decisions, make bets, and or even have betting columns. And seldom ever, almost never, do I hear on the podcasts, see on their tweets, attached to the justifications and scores or opinions, never see the bet. Meanwhile, your boy here, accused of being biased, only gets accused of being biased because I'm like one of the only motherfuckers who states they're biased still. One of the only motherfuckers. I'm not even claiming to be a journalist. And not that it matters because most of us aren't real journalists in this bar. We don't have a degree for it. And not that that should matter either, but you know what I mean. But get the one basic thing, stating your fucking biases and doing your research. Again, on my fucking soapbox with this same point, so many people, regardless of their beats in this space, whether they're on broadcast, whether they're journalists, whether they're beat writers, whether they're podcasters, whether they're submitting score cover, anything. So many of them barely ever talk about their fucking biases when talking about these opinions. Yet your boy here always states his biases, always researches his work and opinions beforehand, and will tether, you don't have to agree, but will tether my opinions to actual evidence. Fucking good luck finding people who do one of these things in the many arguments I've seen for this fight or any other fight. And it pisses me off. Be better. Some of y'all listen to this show. Be better. All right? Because I'm out here fucking researching, putting my shit public, <laughs> and admitting my biases every time. And it's annoying. Um... And the justification I was seeing for a lot of people that I respect deal out the Dern scores was, oh, the impactful striker, you know, you know, and and, and again, almost over, arguably overleaning into the criteria, speaking as it, you know, speaking toward that rule and delivering that in such a way that you would deliver it for a round where nothing happened. And for the criteria nuts, those same criteria nuts will also tell you that the reason why we don't have a 10-10 is because there's enough action even in a slow round, even in the slow rounds, right? Or we admit that it could go either way. Even in the slow rounds, there still should be enough to judge. Dern Torres was not a slow round. Round one. None of them were slow rounds. Round one was not a slow round. There was plenty to judge. Plenty of exchanges. Um, And, you know, hearing people go, nah, yeah, you know what? Tisha stuff is, is not impactful. And then not following that road of thought. Like, oh, wow, yeah, you're right, you know? She's only been doing martial arts her whole life. She's only been fighting for over a decade in multiple divisions. Um, at one time was commanding no short, averaging a minus 300 with only close losses to champions at, the, at, a, at, at through a majority of her career and arguably still now, you know, minus uh, Marina Rodriguez. Um, yeah, and by the way, by the way, you know, by the way, a majority of all her wins decision machine right so like 
we're going to just pretend now like it's convenient that like, oh, you know what? Yeah, man. You know, like, you know, we're just not going to score her strikes now. You know, they, they're not significant enough when, when, when the rule for significant strikes is bullshit and the way they count is bullshit. I didn't even look at the stat counts because it's bullshit. I can't tell you. Like I, I tweeted and John fucking Anik himself agreed with this take. Even the round take that I'm about to give, by the way. But the more important take, no matter if you agree with me on the dirt, the more important take here. Stop basing your fucking arguments off of stats and show your work. Two different things, but they're they're needed. Too many people put too much weight in the stats, and I can't tell you, like I like the tweet again, signed off on by many. Can't tell you how many knockdowns, takedowns, significant strikes are just constantly falsely recorded. They don't count leg checks. They count leg checks as landed leg kicks. So that's why it looks like almost I, I try not to bring up that this person is getting leg kicks landed up in the 90 percentile argument because everything according to fight metric looks like everyone's getting landed in the 90 percentile. You know, <laughs> unless you have that Muay Thai step back time and you make them do the clear misses, which I've even seen them fuck up those calculations, by the way, um, unless you do it as clear as day, they're, they're going to miss it. So strike stats are bullshit. Show your work. And nobody showed their work. I had people, even people I respect that I've had on this podcast and, and will still have on in the future. I still got love. But people... Speaking in apps, smart people speaking in absolutes while not showing their work. Uh, apparently, it's on a podcast. Shout, shouts to Frank Posen. Uh, who I, I've shouted their podcast many times before and Sean Humes, but like I literally laid out multiple paragraphs of actual work. Again, you don't have to agree with my opinion, but I tethered it to actual fucking evidence. And did they respond to that? Nope. They, they probably responded in their podcast. I'm sorry, guys. I, I don't have time, so I'm going to give you guys respect. And give you guys a shout here. Check out uh, Frank Posen's podcast. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I, it's like it's like I, if I'm taking the time to fucking research and state it, it's like why why can't any of y'all? You know, and if you did, then fucking put it out there. I, I didn't see one person. All they said was all oh, Dern land the harder shot. Why? Because Rogan said. Oh, because 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 Torres looked rock. Why? Because Rogan said said so. Because Rogan went oh. And by the way, commentary w was good, and even though Rogan did have a Dern narrative by the end of the fight, it w I don't think it was too overpowering, but unfortunately him alone just going, oh, she's rocked, just even just one of those is enough to sway around in many people's eyes. Now, the judges there, I don't blame them so much because, again, A, if they saw something different on these strikes, um, they have a better seat than, than, than me or you folks. So we have to give them... Again, they're not fucking infallible, but we do have to give them um, that benefit of the doubt, right? Um, but I will say, but I will say, it's really subjective to. And again, this kind of ties back to the problem with our our our, our scoring um, and subjectivity for you know not letting subjectivity run wild in something that's inherently subjective. Perhaps this is why in boxing they make it an automatic ten eight when there's a knockdown. And they have rules about a body parts, certain body parts, uh, what justify as far as what needs to touch the ground to constitute a knockdown. Now, of course, you cannot transfer those same rules, much less a knockdown rule into MMA where people are constantly going for takedowns, right? I was always saying about uh, Chimaev, it's so hard, even with this fight, we saw that, right? It's so hard to see what's hitting and what's not and how rocked 
some guys like Chamayev or a lot of these grapplers are because with the grappling dynamic, you can change levels for a shot, right? And sometimes a fight can be stopped on that. What was it? Sabah Hamasi uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan, right? So again, I understand the problems. I'm not criticizing or calling for a knockdown rule in MMA. I'm bringing it up simply because the sports that have been doing it longer than us folks probably do things for a reason, whether it's their rules, like having a knockdown rule to put a stamp on the sub so that subjectivity only can run so far and not run wild like it does in our fight. Oh, Torres is rocked, you know, because it's already subjective as it is when someone is rocked, quote unquote, or knocked down, like I said, right? You know, um, you then have to judge, okay, how bad are they? Because if we're actually giving the tools the judges should have, they need to be judging these things, right? To determine, okay, it's this person's round perhaps right now, but how much of a round or how, how much ahead are they? Which will, again, glean toward the information I'll need at the end of the round on how to score it. These are all important things. And so, you know, and... and so that's why, and I again, I'm not an official judge. I haven't heard judges do this. I would you know, love to, to talk to some sometime and ask them because uh, I know that um, through secondhand that judges, I know that judges do have their own systems as far as momentum in a fight. I've heard things like from dashes. I've heard even things like a coin in the hand, one hand or the other as far as where the momentum's going. Um, I kind of do the coin in the hand thing without a coin in the hand. I have got like, you know, it's like those... Uh, those carny things where you're shooting the water and uh, water gun into the hole and your little rabbit or horse kind of races across the track and you're trying to race across, right? That's kind of how I picture the fights. And there's two horses. And um, each time uh, Tisha's landing a strike, uh, I'm moving in little increments. And yes, Dern strikes, whether they're sloppy or not, Dan, I know you're a hipster on technique, but you know what? A hard land is a hard land. You got to deal with it, motherfucker. You know what? You're right if you're saying that. Absolutely. And... In fairness, for what it's worth, folks, when I'm doing that math, even live with my bias, every time Dern strikes, I'm giving her three to five paces for every one of Torres's, okay? So I'm already doing that. I get what you're saying. But at what point? You know, at what point? You know, three to five is even arbitrary. But, you know, with the way people were judging, with the amount of strikes that, that, that Dern landed in comparison to Torres, it's like... Man, you guys are, are you guys like, you know, giving her 15 to 20 per strike? Because that's what you'd have to do to clearly justify it. And it's like, at, at what end, you know? At what end? And then at what point, again, because if we're following this logic, if we're following this logic of you you can't, you know, Tisha, Tisha's too small for the division, even though, again, she's been just fine up to this point. Um, Even, even if we're going, you know, by, by that logic, to what end? Because if we follow that logic, Tisha's record is not what it is. Tisha should not have won any of those fights because apparently her strikes aren't significant, right? doesn't matter how technical it is. It's impact or damage, air quotes, even though it's written as impact in the criteria. But the funny thing is, when you look at impact, Torres, who was rocked, she didn't go down. She didn't even drop to a knee. She didn't shuffle. She didn't stagger around the octagon. She didn't stanky leg. She didn't even change her stances or back up significantly. She looked stunned, yes, briefly through her eyes, but her eyes fixated right back on her opponent. You know how I know that? Because each time she landed... By the way, Tisha Torres, I only clock generously that she lands 2.5 to 
to three strikes in the first half of the round. That's all she lands clean. And only one of those is a right hand that is off the break and Torres no sells, doesn't, again, fits the checklist, doesn't even doesn't even look stunned like the, oh, she's rocked one that happens in the back half of the round. I don't know if that one happens at a minute 24 or another one happens, but there are two really significant right hands that I give Dern a ton of credit for, not just the one. I give, see, everyone's like, oh, it's the one. Like, she actually lands you know, a, 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 another just as significant right hand than the one Rogan reacted to. But you know what happened both those times, folks? Again, Doris, Torres fits the checklist, doesn't show any any, any signs, um, and immediately counters, immediately counters. And when I counted, both every time she gets landed on, she lands a minimum of two strikes. Um, at, at the end, she lands two strikes, but like the, the big right hands that everyone's making a big deal of, she actually, if you go back and watch, she lands four strikes after getting air quote rocked. And those four strikes take place over um, two exchanges before Dern starts even coming close to stuff, landing stuff that qualify as lands. So for someone who's air quote rocked, she doesn't go down, she doesn't shuffle, she doesn't stammer, she doesn't change her stances. She immediately counters as she darts, mind you, like doing like really deceptive technical counters where you're striking and getting out of the way, winning multiple exchanges after said times they're rocked. But of course, no one even acknowledges this when they're making that argument. Even people that came at me, no one acknowledges that, right? She does it both times. And then Dern closes the round with two more good right hands, but... Torres returns with two unanswered hard sidekicks. And I know they're to the body as opposed to the head, but they debased. And I believe one of them even like uh, knocks Dern on her ass briefly. And she shoves Dern off twice. Also with, uh, with the leg kicks, she was hitting both traditional leg kicks as well as to the knee, which was really bothering her. That Khalil Roundtree, um, Bukakis injuring knee. It, uh, on at least four different instances just in the first round, Tisha Torres gets Dern to shuffle her stance, stop in her tracks, and show visible frustration and change her trajectory. Those Is that not impactful? Right? If, if we're going by impact, like that's actually impacting someone's approach, right? She was actually doing damage and causing, causing damage amidst exchanges where she was already winning and schooling her by the numbers. As far as the body goes, like I said at the end of the round, she debases her stance, Even argue, I think he maybe even puts her on her butt briefly, with two body kicks, like 300 style kicking somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like for a small girl who, who, who can't, you know, cut it or whatever, like she actually debased um, and, and threw, uh, stopped during her tracks more. She put uh, made during switch dances more. She made Dern change trajectories more. She landed more cleaner strikes. She lands super right hands of her own to start the round that, you know, if they were, you know, if, 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 if she was, was Dern and had the, the size and, and umph, like, oh my, it would have knocked most girls out. Like, Dern ran straight forward with it. She also has this weird grin on her face, by the way. I would so fucking get my ass kicked by someone like Dern, who's just awkward, athletic, and she has that weird, like, smile, like, kind of grin on her face. Like, oh my God, it's the... I love my Mackenzie, but it's the stupidest fucking look on the face. Like, oh my god, I would, I'd fucking lose it just just that face. I'm like I, this, uh, it's like a nightmare. Um, just constantly coming at you. But yet nobody mentioned any of these things, and that's why I tweeted live. I saw this coming again. That's why it's it's not, you know, it, it's not it's not it's not a robbery or anything like that, folks, or anything like that. Because I saw it coming. I even tweeted it live. I said I'm biased, so I can't judge. But 
I would like people to keep in mind that are that that you're seeing these Dern scores. Um, I hope they're counting that Torres immediately recovered and returned um, and won exchanges after every time uh, Dern did land. And I didn't read the stats, but I heard like Dern got like 20-something strikes or something credited to her in that first round. Dude, go back and watch. She lands generously three clean in the first half. So you're telling me she had to land at over 20 shots in the, in the last half of that round? Like, I, I even think between the 3.30 and the 3-minute uh, mark, uh, the 30 seconds past the halfway point, she only maybe lands one or 1.5 clean strikes there even. Like, it's... It's ridiculous. Um, and, of course, I bet it. And, of course, I had a winning night, so it looks like I'm really crying over spilt milk here. But, again, folks, for people that know me know my history, you guys know that. I just, I've just i got a crazy history of being on the wrong side of these fucking stupid decisions. Um, with a more technical fighter. And, and again, you know, the, uh, fucking Dern did, still didn't show everyone's like, oh, well, if she could just, everyone's, that's a Kenzie Dern fan is scoring it for her, saying the same damn talking points. Oh, you know, she maybe she should, you know, focus on her wrestling or this or that, or, um, you know, or saying, you know, she's not, or like either falsely giving her credit for getting better, which she's, she's really, she's, she's not, she's only making small improvements in her striking um, and, and, and it's striking and strength and conditioning. Like she's working the wrong things, you know? And it's just that whole thing of like the analyst hipster thing. Like you hate seeing fighters get rewarded for, for, for making the wrong move, you know? Um, and it's like, she's young, she's got hype. She has all these opportunities. Like she, she would be fine with this loss. Right. Whereas Torres, who is the old dog, who's not supposed to learn tricks actually has been making like legit fucking improvements late into her career. You know, she actually had like, you know, long drawn out adversity at the top level, um, had to go through a bunch of transitions. Um, fucking worked her ass off to get back where she is and was at a crucial crossroads that could have gotten her top five and top five matchups. Do I think Torres is going to fight for a championship or become a championship? No. But does that mean she does not deserve the opportunities that she clearly already deserves and put the work in for? You know? So forget me. Forget my opinion. Forget my bet. It's like we're, we're rewarding the person who fucking, you know... I just hate seeing that, man. I just I just hate seeing the fucking hard work and busting their ass to, you know, one of their last chances to get back into some some bigger fights, some contention. You know, again, she's not going to win a title, but, you know, she could have got easily to some fight night headliner, which, you know, might not excite you guys, but it's good money for Torres that Torres deserves. Nope. Not even her win bonus now. But yeah, yeah. Y'all, y'all just, y'all just cite impact and don't, don't actually look at the, look at the fights or go back or do your due diligence. Be better media members, be fucking better, admit your biases and do your work so you can show your work. Fucking, I don't, I, again, totally cool with the judges uh, scoring it that way because, you know, their cage side. It's the explanations that I'm seeing in the space, especially from colleagues, pisses me off so much. Um, anyways, Mark Madsen defeated Vince Pichelle. No opinion there. I'll go fast on the rest of this. Um, Ian Gary defeated Darian Weeks. No opinion there. Anthony Hernandez versus Josh Fremd. No opinion there. Uh, Raquel Pennington defeated Aspen Ladd again. Ladd thought it was close. And, you know, some people um, did think it was close. You know, people were laughing at Ladd. I'm like, you know, I, again, I saw people, even people like 
whose opinion I respect and 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 you know are are amongst the usual scores you see thrown out there. We're, we're we're thinking like I think round one or something was close. Like again, if you understand striking exchanges <laughs> and like body work encounters, again, body work encounters are just so hard for people to see. I, I I know I give shit for the judges, which I do want to give credit to the judges because um I forget which fight it is, but there's a, there's a fight on here where I'm like. Oh yeah, the, I think it was Mike Perry Luque. Um, if you give Mike Perry that round, um, it's either because you listen into commentary. It was a close round and well fought, and Mike Perry did good things, but he really won it because of body work, and that wasn't being talked about as much. Uh, and the judges weren't privy to the commentary, especially in that live era, right pre-pandemic. That fight um, give most of them. Uh, including uh, my guy there, Eric Cologne, give Perry round two. And to me, I'm like, you know what? I got to give the judges credit there. I always say they're allergic to grading body work, but if they were to give Perry that round, that tells me that they graded the body work. So good on them, right? Um, You know, so to be fair to the judges, I want to say that. And I also want to say, again, it's not just the judges. It, everybody, educated fans, educated people score, miss body work encounters uh, because... Raquel Pennington put a fucking clinic. She coasted to the third shirt, but she fucking clinicked Aspen Lad. I, I, fuck man. I know I bet the fight, but goddamn, you can't tell me any other way. Um, sorry, Mike Malott. By the way, I was almost blind with how how white this guy is. We should we should call Mike Malott Bright Malott. You know, it's like oh, who the fuck is fighting? Now? Oh, it's Mike Malott. I got fucking squinting over here. <laughs> but Bright Malott was a bright spot on this card. Fucking, he should have got the fan bonus. Shouts to my guy Aaron Bronstetter, who was talking about these fighters on the undercard. Something I've always preached since my days on MMA Junkie Radio. Um, and that's why I hated these this stupid crypto bonus. One, it's crypto. Um, two, the uh, the the split of it, stupid. What is it, like 700,000 and like multiple millions to the UFC? Well, it's only like 700,000 or whatever to the fighters yearly. Uh, a fighter uh, once a month. Uh, shout out to Robert Joyner, uh, who tweeted that. And then, again, with the fans and stuff, forget, like, even the, the fucking matchmaker, they give it to, like, bullshit people, the bonuses, the actual money bonuses. Like, now we're going to let the fans, so it's only going to be the fucking popular people on the card? Oh, great. Popularity contest. You know, your boy loves that shit. Um, you know, don't give it to the guy who's fucking, you know, donating his his check, his, his measly paycheck that he should be getting way more of and probably needs uh, valiantly, you know, generously, kindly donating it to... Uh, to his coach. Um, so, man, shouts to Mike Malott, man. What a, what a good Canadian boy there, man. Um, picked him, but again, not uh, not bumping my chest. This was a, a, a tricky fight because of Mike Malott's sample size. But again, you got to go with your eyes and what you see. Records and stats can only tell you so much. And I dare say maybe that's where the, you know, I think someone's saying, someone saying, it's like, oh, you make a good judge because you can... See things from your martial arts experience. I'm like, yes, but my martial arts experiences and the biases, which I do readily admit, uh, I'd be a terrible judge. And I've said it many times in this podcast before. I don't think that I could do it. I think, in fact, I'd be a bad judge. Um, I think what I am helpful of is dissecting actual action that goes down because that's kind of my job. So uh, is it related to that? Yes, I do toss my opinion within judging, but in no way, shape, or form. And I will always fully admit it's a tough job that I would suck at. But thank you for thinking... I'd be decent, but no, just those reads just kind of come in handy for weird things like this. Alexi Olenek defeated Jared Ivandera. Give me sight beyond sight. Um, cash it, baby. Again, you know, stats don't say anything, but uh, everything. But um, 
they can help confirm a stylistic read, which was that Jared Vandera will struggle against pressure grapplers, will make the wrong moves. He does. No offense to Jared, seems like a cool guy. Uh, Pedro Rodriguez, who deserved a bonus after hearing the poverty she has to go through, defeated Kay Hansen. Hopefully that helped. Um, uh, hope Kay, um, you know, I don't think she'll be UFC bound again right now. Uh, so I hope she can bounce back on the regionals and get her stuff together. Wishing her the best. Julio Arce, I was, I was worried about this one. Defeated Daniel Santos, but um, ended up being true. The Southpaw Savvy wins the day as um, that camp may have trouble with Southpaws. And I know someone brought up, well, Dubronx beat Poye, you know, and um, and whatnot. And he did look good against Timor um, standing, David Timor. But, uh, uh, you know, David Timor, you know, perhaps uh, we saw his ceiling A. Uh, Jim Miller, southpaw sample size, he split one and one, but both those are grappling heavy. Um, and the grappling also muddies up the Poirier side, though. To support my point, Poirier obviously did do really well standing with Dubronx, right, in round one. Um, but I, I pointed more toward, uh, like, you know, um, Felipe Arantes. Uh, I forget which southpaw he lost to in the UFC. Thomas Almeida to Jonathan Martinez. Bueno Silva would talk about uh, Fioro. Um, pretty much every other shoe box fighter in the UFC when they face southpaws of loss. I, I listed a bunch off on Twitter. Um, so maybe there's something there. Still a good team, obviously. Um, I'll have to see Daniel Santos back on a full camp. And uh, Arce, man, cash. That was good. Uh, again, if you guys round Robin, shouts to my guy Jerry H. and the rest. Dude, if you guys round Robin, it didn't matter that um, the judges uh, didn't give us a beat. We still went three and one. If we're four and one, it would have been nice. I mean, because I can't round Robin. So uh, the only parlay I had was in one house where I parlayed those four props. That would have been like fucking half a grand <laughs> for risking barely anything, which would have been nice. Um, but of course, of course, you know, you know me with those. Uh, those beats. Speaking of Mara Brenna Silva, remember when I bet her and she beat the piss out of uh, Montana De La Rosa for three rounds and, and still lost the fight? Um, that was great. By the way, go look at MMA decisions. There's some fucking questionable scorecards there. Like, I, you got to be generous to give fucking... I mean, you really got to be generous to give her one round. Montana De La Rosa get her ass kicked. Um, anyways, we'll get to that, but... Uh, <clears throat> you know me and these these ladies beats. Uh, I, uh, that being said, of course, I may or may not have a, a lady leg and some action coming up. All right, how forever long did I take on that? An hour. Yeah, an hour. Yeah, no expedited version today, folks. We're going to be expedited on this shit, though, I promise. Um, all right, uh, Belter277, taking Nemkov over um, Anderson, but I didn't bet it. Someone said they were surprised. Nemkov did well for me last time out, but we got to be careful just because someone does well for you last time out. There's always that bias at play where, you know, you over over expect them to do well again. We all do that. I'm very guilty of that. Um, it's something we probably all are. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's the fact that Anderson just feels like he's spoiled potential. I'm really giving Anderson the respect. Maybe because we just saw a highly touted Russian um, get taken out by an American wrestler who people weren't so high on. Or maybe there's a little bit of that parallel, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, man, I may not be betting on black, but I don't want to bet against it here. So, you know, uh, 
That's because it's me. That's right. Corey Overtime Anderson. My name's Donnell. Running my support. <laughs> Every time I hear Corey Anderson, he's just like, that's the way he talks. He reminds me of uh, this this old Baywatch episode from the early 90s. Oh, Dan, how, how old are you? Tell us, Grandpa. Um, but uh, it's like they, they got like the special, like, um, like the special ed department to like volunteer, but it really felt like they were using them for cheap labor because there was this like black kid who was like, Hey, he was going to David Hasselhoff. He's like, Hey, my name's Donnell. Run into my sport. Hi, Donnell. You ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> what version of Baywatch did you watch, Dan? Listen, the Hoff got. Anyways, that's not what happened, but the point is. Corey Anderson always reminds me of that character because he's the way he talks. He's always like, that's right. And what I'm going to do is that. And then I'm going to get that. But Scott Coker told me he's a martial artist. That's why I come here. So I'm back to wrestling. Now I'm wrestling. They ain't going to stop me. Going to hunt. Got a red truck. It's what I do. Watch in my corner. She messed shit up. She's real good. She's a fighter. Like, by the way, shouts to his wife. He's got like the Sam Alvey thing because like the wife actually like gives him good strategy and good advice. Like she was the one, like she was the one that like pointed him in the right direction to like, uh, you know, uh, you know, as far as, like, when Corey started actually making, like, these boxing improvements and stuff, like, I heard an interview, and actually his, like, it's funny, man, it sounds like his, his, his wife's a, a super sharp lady, so uh, I don't say that to make fun of him, I hope people don't take that joke the wrong way, it's just, I'm sorry, it's just what I hear every time I hear Corey, I hear that character, my name's Donnell, running my sport, <laughs> like, it's just... It's what I, it's what I hear, folks. And for better or worse, I'm honest in this podcast. Wow, Dan, that was a, a very informative breakdown. But yeah, basically, um, Nemkov's cardio, you know, could still be suspect. He won those matches. Uh, he looked good in uh, going along in the last two, but those were the caveats and fights he could control and lower paced fighters. That is not Anderson, but Anderson still, with boxing improvement, still needs his takedown game. And Nemkov's wrestling. Looks really good, even beyond the first layers that he initially had, probably because he spent four of his five last camps preparing for folk-style wrestlers. And if, if out of shape, off the juice, looking like overmatched 44-year-old Melvin Manhoff can shuck singles on one leg and hit underhook get-ups no problem in the first round until he gets tired, which was even a problem for prime Melvin Manhoff, which, uh, you know, that with himself too, the stylistic matchup in front of him, those were... Even just juice to the gills, Manhoff, that was a problem. Yeah, he was going to lose that fight. But if he's able to do that stuff, then what's Nemkov going to be able to do? Um, you know, uh, and Nemkov's been getting better at countering. Not as many uh, hooks, but he does throw a lot of stuff from the left side much more um, now. And left-sided strikes, kind of like Bilal Muhammad, who we talked about, like Corey Anderson, they both share that. Most of all their knockdowns and knockouts come off that left side. So I'm going to go with Nemkov to find a finish inside the distance. Not enough balls to bet, but uh, I would probably bet Nemkov if he got to minus 150, which doesn't look like he's going to. So I'd probably bet him inside the distance at plus money, which I haven't because I don't have the balls. Uh, same with Patricio Fiere, who is like plus 245. If he goes above 250, I, I got an out of bet at a principal. But I still haven't bet him despite picking him over AJ McKee minus 310. Um, I feel like you got to justify, uh, you know, I got to see you in championship rounds and I got to see a matchup play out more than a couple exchanges um, before you can justify a North of three to one favorite to the promotion's most proven talent um, who has never lost two consecutive fights is five and zero undefeated in rematch and is six and three against Bellator level Southpaws. Now, most of those victories came over the same two grappling based fighters in Wilson Hayes and excuse me, Daniel Strauss, but to his credit, he was thoroughly outstriking Benson Henderson. 
up at 155 before that freak leg injury. So, um, yeah, I took Fieri here. I just, you know, uh, because also McKee, you know, you look at his toughest fights, um, whether it was a Brian Moore, fucking Brian Moore, um, or um, like other fights, like it was guys who could counter and or uh, wrestle a lot of times. Uh, counter and or wrestle um, have been AJ McKee's kind of toughest fights. Uh, Pat Curran, uh, so on and so forth. Um, so that's kind of Fieri's game, man. Counter fighting and wrestling is what he's focused on uh, and excelled in in the last half a decade. Um, but it's a lower weight class, and he's been fighting for 13 or 14 years, folks. So, you know, he could very well just drop off. You know what I'm saying? Like, this could be it. Um, till I see it, uh, I'm going to pick Fury. Uh, but that's also part of the reason why I'm not betting him despite the odds. Because, you know what? I do believe I am a fan of McKee, man. It's not me hating on McKee. Or the Like, I actually really like him. I like his personality, too. Like, uh, the, by the way, shouts to my guys, Gorgeous George and Goes. Um I did an excellent interview with uh, AJ McKee or MMA Junkie Radio. Um, and just listening to him talk about cars and stuff and imports to GM stuff, like I was like, oh, I could get down with this dude for sure. I already liked him from my experiences um, covering him, both of his uh, fights in Hawaii, where, you know, we've seen him come through adversities in those sense. Like he was sick, was throwing up. It was a known thing. I didn't say anything, but it was kind of a known thing on the ground. Um, and he came through. That's why that fight was a bit tough with Derek Compost, where, he, you know, his, his car, you know, so I don't, criticizes cardio for that i just we still got to see him in championship rounds he's shown to come through those adversities uh he had two bad rounds against brian moore and then he came back and dug it out in, in the third now he got lucky he got a finish with explosion his first explosion within the first 30 seconds of the third if he fails on that who knows how that looks the rest of the round much less the way that fight is scored but the fact is he has shown that gear this guy is a special talent i said it in my breakdown aj mckee is probably the most talented improvisational fighter regardless of organization or division i've ever seen that's a huge fucking compliment and i stand by that i think this kid's going to be special regardless of the result i'm not an aj mckee hater just because i'm doing my job and being critical and tying critical things that aren't overly critical mind you to actual evidence um or backing at least the fighter who has proven the actual evidence um especially in these rematches so i'm going to take fieri by decision I haven't bet it. Good luck if you did. The value is certainly there. I, I'm a pussy for not betting it for sure. Feel free to call me that, because uh, I am. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's my uh, again. It's not. I don't have hate for Anderson or McKee here. Um, if anything, I, it's my respect for these guys that's keeping me from playing against them, despite uh, picking against them. All right. Okay. So that's that. Shouts to by the way, uh, Pascal R, who donated the PayPal link. Uh, for this here free program um, over at mixedmarshallanalyst.com. We can find click-throughs for uh, crappy companies like Amazon. But uh, there's also a secure PayPal link as well as my link tree at DanTomMMA on Twitter, the only social media I'm somewhat active on, uh, at the PYM Podcast on all social platforms if you want to reach the show, write in, ask a question. Um, not enough people do that, but you can. Uh, but yeah, all the, the, the likes and follows for the, at the PYM Podcast on social platforms. Actually, that really helps. Um, and I won't spam your feeds. Daniel Tom MMA shouts to the YouTube listeners. I don't deserve you guys yet. I'm still working on getting video, so I don't deserve to pump it up. I don't deserve subscribers, but thank you for subscribing. Uh, if you want YouTube or to see past video content like interviews or top five shows there, Daniel Tom MMA and Apple Podcasts, five-star ratings and reviews. There's the plugs. Thank you. All right. Um, now with that, what time did we start this? 111. We never get an expedited version. 
It's like longer when I say it's going to be expedited. But this breakdown is going to be very quick. All right, UFC and ESPN 34. Uh, we got Vicente Luque minus 195. Price going back up. Bilal Muhammad plus 165. Um, yeah, man, I was initially going to stay away from this fight. And I'm one that's like, again, that I preach with rematches, whether it was last week, which, again, you know, uh, to my credit, we did see a different rematch take place uh, with Jan and Sterling, as we were reminded many times. Rematches are often different, and we have this thing where we're like, we just assume it's going to be the same, and it's representative with the betting spread for McKee Pitbull. But for here, it's not as deep yet after I did the work, folks, and after, again, I'm the, the contrarian king when it comes to that shit in rematches. No, I thought, um, despite, and I, 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 these guys, obviously, the fight was forever ago, and you can't take too much credit from it, and both men have improved, and I lay out those improvements in my in-depth breakdown at MMAJunkie.com, but... That doesn't mean that the stylistic dynamic has necessarily changed, and I don't think it has. Um, for how the how, how, we'll ultimately see, right? For how it plays in between these fighters, but the reason I come to that conclusion is because I don't think their stylistic dynamic, as far as stylistic kryptonites, have changed for either fighter. Luke, they both have trouble with counter fighters, whereas Luke um, has more trouble with counter fighters who can counter him with also really good wrestling right especially early in his career um but then he works hard trains stateside with wrestling camps well some catch wrestling coaches like my coach neil melanson who really helped him step up that front headlock game you look at uh the finish rate on on that shit go up right uh after he works with him in 2015 um as well as his wrestling from his stateside uh, uh training which you know he's he's he does still mainly train at a serato mma we got to make sure we give credit to the home camp there but, um, uh, sorry, hopefully it's not coming weird on the mic. I or my voice weird there. Um, but yeah, he, you know, he's he doing better on that sense, but still counter fighters like Steven Thompson, um, Leon Edwards, um, you know, uh, even, you know, when fighters choose to sit back and counter and dedicate to countering like Perry did. And it was weird because Perry, you know, he deteriorated strongly. It was like one of his strongest performances. That fight is when he was still like giving a shit and like trying to do what his, his, his boxing coaches, um, in the South Florida camp when he was there. Uh, but that was like one of his last good looks. Then he went like garbage, garbage, like looked awful in the bag, looked awful in fights. So, and we all know the story of Mike Perry. So it's really tricky, but Mike Perry, you know, actually made a good account for himself. Um, Brian Barberina has always been savvy on the counter amongst other plenty areas and will pressure his way into counters, put up volume, deceptive in the clinch, crazy chin, you know, he has always been underrated, comes and puts on his best performance. And I think people just start bagging on Luke after that, right? They're like, look at him. He fights to the level. It's da-da-da-da. And, you know, Luke is, is still making, like, you know, and, and, and to his credit, even though his style naturally will go for the finish, he will always put himself in the heat of battle. He does make quiet improvements to his defense. Um, he does make a lot of efforts to check leg kicks, Um does he check the majority of them that come his way? No. Very few fighters do. But the fact that he even thinks about checking light kicks puts him above 90% of his contemporaries alone, right? But he actually does it probably like 20 to 30%, which is a pretty decent amount, especially for MMA. Pretty damn decent. Um, how clean those checks are, you know, uh, you know, results will vary. But he does do that. Whereas Muhammad, you know... Uh, very susceptible to leg kicks. He'll, he'll throw leg kicks himself, but very susceptible to leg kicks, as we've seen, because he's heavy with that jab. Muhammad, not as vulnerable to the wrestlers, but 
almost more allergic. I would argue, in fact, more allergic to Counter-Strikers than Luke. In fact, when you look at the Counter-Strikers, he's pretty much lost to every one minus an old Stephen Thompson where he gets Stephen Thompson in the small cage. The blue print's been written. And Bilal, um, one of the things he's always kind of had from his wrestling base but has only kind of improved and emphasized on in his fights is takedowns, right? Bilal Muhammad, undefeated when he can get three or more takedowns in a fight, by the way. Interesting stat. So guys that can deter or defend takedowns and counter, though, are his kryptonite. You know, um, Jeff Neal, even Tim Means, who arguably won that fight, it was a split decision, right? Um, Counter-striker there. Uh, Alan Jobano, that was short notice, but that's a counter-striker. Obviously, Vicente Luque the first time, that's a counter-striker. There's a loss there. Um, I know he was doing decent and he deserves to have seen the Leon Edwards fight finish, but that was a bad match written all over it. As I called out my breakdown, the left side of propensities are going to own him in the southpaw double attack. And it was minus the eye poke. Um, so these are just bad matchups for him, you know? And I, unless he is really able to put a pace on Luke and tire him later rounds, it's pretty much Bilal decision and Luke inside the distance. I know I hate saying that because again, even 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 Dern supporters, right, were, were were wrong last week because we thought that the dynamic was Dern decision or Dern inside the distance or Torres decision. And that was another frustrating part about the result because it even burned a lot of Dern backers there, right? Um so we gotta be careful when we assume these two outcome fights, but for this for for the sake of admitted reductiveness, that's the general outcomes of this fight, right? Um so even though I, again I was gonna look to bet other stuff. But between me passing on the, the the fights that I really put a lot of work in already, like the Bellator fights, I really did a lot of work and research in those and didn't feel great betting it. But I'm like, well, what was I going to depend on looking at the rest of this card? Spoiler alert, I don't like anything on the bottom half of this card. It's going to be a very quick prelim breakdown here, folks. Do not put a lot of weight into that breakdown of mine either because it just wasn't worth targeting, wasn't worth researching. So much to, to go through, right? So I really had to vet, and I'm like, you know what? This is one of the more clear stylistic dynamics. These are some of the more proven fighters, right? That's something you want to look to bet, especially in this day and age where it's like half contender series fucking fighters and half fighters that maybe arguably maybe shouldn't be here in the first place, not hating. They deserve their chance to make money, and they deserve more money. I'm just saying if we're being critical here. Um, yeah, maybe that's where we should be putting our money. So one unit on Luke inside the distance. Um, got two out of three plays. Two out of three hit, I'll be good. So hopefully this one won't make or break my night, but um, we'll see. Played Luke A1 unit uh, inside the distance at plus 130, I believe I got him at. Um, all right, next fight. Uh, Godzi Omar Godziev, uh, minus 130. Kyle Berhayo, uh, plus 110. Um, despite initially not wanting to touch this fight and was just going to look to shitting on another shitty co-main event, it was, in their defense, supposed to be Uriah Hall, one of the more notable names on this card, So they, for whatever that's worth. But again... Surprise, surprise. I've been saying it's 2019, folks. The co-main event's not co-main event anymore. Not trying to shit on these guys. And I wasn't trying to shit on Kyle Ohio by giving him a C on his first Dana White Contender Series, not his second one, which seemed to upset a lot of people. But you know what? I went back and watched. And even though there's still some questionable decisions, and I stand by my analysis on, on him being so comfortable in the clinch, the dude's got some skills. Um, Bohio's a black belt under Damian Maya. He's a brown belt in judo, but has won both regional and national judo championships in Brazil for whatever that's worth. And you see it because he actually plays with feet really well. Um, he's got good balance in the clinch. Can even do takedowns of his own. 
uh, level changing takedowns um, that are slowly getting better. He's not bending the back as much. Each fight, he almost gets better at changing his level there. Not that I'm the fucking wrestling god or whatever to critique, but, you know, um, I do understand wrestling. So, you know, it's something I look for. Um, and, uh, but yeah, um, you know, and so even though the clunch stuff is worrisome, I do wonder can he stymie uh, Gazi Omar Gaziev? And if Gazi Omar Gaziev gets him down, will he be able to do much? I mean, he got guard retained. Um, you know, by not the most talented grappler in the world, and then went for uh, a questionable leg lock. And his defense, it was at the end of the round, so if you are going to go for one at this level in those divisions, um, yeah, I guess go at the end. But it was really dangerous. Um, I'll be curious. You know, there are leg locks in judo, and Kyle seems like a... You know, I know that's his gimmick with the, the, the nerd, the glasses, the nerd team, but he does seem like a smart guy as far as the way he fights, you know. Um, he doesn't take too many too many crazy risks, whereas that's the thing about Gatsi Omar Gadziev. You know, he's got the undefeated record. He's Russian. Uh, even though he's training out of the MMA factory in Paris, France, um, you know, he, he came up doing freestyle uh, wrestling in Russia, um, and he's got a combat sambia, a, a sambo world championship, whatever that means. Um, and... Um, you see it in his style. The problem is he gets too wild. He does. He constantly spins without throwing strikes on the feet. Um, he telegraphs his takedowns and really reaches his head and neck for a guy like Bohio, uh, Bo Bo who's got like multiple Bravo chokes and guillotines. He specializes from front chokes. Um, and when he is on the ground, like I said, he'll drop back for leg locks. So standing, transitionary wrestling phases, and mat wrestling, grappling on the ground... Omar Gachiev shows really questionable decision making, like almost like he's asking to be emphatically countered. Um, and I think that's what happens. Kyle Bohio seems to have really good eyes and exchanges. He almost got a flying knee knockout a couple times in his contender series fight, um, his first one. And with Omar Gachiev, the way he's fighting, I feel like he's going to flying knee knockout him in round one or two here. Um, and if it goes to the decision, I think that he can. Maybe even win a decision there. Um, Omar Gatsiev does not, sh you know, his, his striking seems to fall apart. Um, as soon as it's pushed it push beyond any kind of limits, whether it's him himself or his opponent. Um, and again, I don't know if he's going to submit Bohio, so he's really got to just dominate him and not make bad decisions for three rounds. So I'll take the dog, actually. It's not a spot I usually bet betting a contender series dog, but he's going against another contender series fighter. Um, Bohio also, you know, this isn't the sole reason why I don't have like special inside information, but yeah, he's, he's been up here for the last six weeks, I believe in Vegas training in extreme couture, getting plenty of good looks. Uh, I really liked what I heard from him in interviews as well. So, uh, I didn't throw a whole unit. I threw three quarter unit. Cause again, this is a sketchy card contender series fighter here, but it's a dog that I'm going to back. So three quarter unit at plus one eleven. I got Kyle Bo Bohio on, um, it's going to be crazy folks. I'm, spoiler alert. Um, it's going to be like the last five fights. I'm just like, all my action is going to be on. It's like going to be fucking nonstop. I'm going to be sleeping until then pretty much. Um, Andre Fialo plus 150, Miguel Baeza minus 170 was initially going to stay away from this one. Again, uh, even though I was spot on and I picked Pajeda to win by decision, um, to use that big cage, um, you know, uh, Fialo was going to be underrated and have his spots, which he did in round one. But the thing with Fialo is, he, his gas tank is suspect. He gets tired. Um, he hasn't faced a lot of grapplers, but grapplers who want to take him down can take him down and win that way. Um, 
which is something to watch out for here. Baeza finally gets to his underrated wrestling and ground game. Um, that's definitely a path here, and the small cage is going to encourage that, right? But Fialo also is very hurtable. Like, he does pressure and cut off on all the right things, you know? You know, maybe he can recreate what Dusko Todorovic did to Bejeda, right? Or maybe he can recreate what uh, Santiago Ponzanibo did to Baeza here. The problem is he gets, he does all the, he looks the part, but as soon as he gets pressed and gets hit, he gets hurt. He's only been stopped twice, but he gets hurt a lot. Um, Baeza, you can argue, has also been hurt a lot. He got hurt before beating Matt Brown. Um, he obviously, you know, got stunged in the Ponzanibio fight. But he's not getting hurt in every fight. And even in those fights, these are some like really hard hitters, right? Who knock out really good fighters. And Baeza kept his composure, showed the heart, um, showed the recovery, keeping his eyes on. Again, almost too much heart and wanting to stay in and not be deterred because then it costs him when he comes across a murderous puncher who's like almost like a mythical puncher, like death touch, Din Mock style. Like not much people I say that about. It's got the Din Mock, but Chaos fucking Williams does. So, like, do we really got to hold that that against him? You know? I, I know he let a lot of people down, including myself, although I don't fucking hold it against some of these fighters, and I only bet by a by, like, submission, I think, which he did go for, right? Um, he did show a bit of a proclivity, but now he really got the learning lesson there. And it sounds like he got depressed. He went dark. Maybe that's what's deterring people away from Baeza. That plus the two losses, recency bias, driving his stock way down. I would argue we're getting him at a discounted price, even at minus 170. Um, he opened at minus 140. Uh, so I think it's just recency bias that dropped his price so low. Miguel Baez has got a, is still a better, uh, still looks to be a more durable fighter than Fialo. He's younger than Fialo. Um, he's got just as much, if not as potent knockout power, even if the stats don't represent it. Um, and it's more of attritional stuff anyways. It's mainly kicks. And Fialo is very kickable. Yes, he trains at with Henry Hooft at Sanford, and looks like he's been working his kicks for this fight, but he barely throws kicks, and he's very kickable because he's a lifelong boxer. So his legs are going to be wide open, and he's just very kickable in general. And I'm seeing him working kicks in his combinations uh, on these pad drills uh, on Instagram, and he's it doesn't look natural for him. It just doesn't. I don't think you're going to cover that ground against such a natural kicker um, like Baeza. And the small cage... May, may make it easier for Fialo to corner him, but they'll only encourage exchanges that I give both durability and offense-wise edges to Baeza, and those exchanges will likely maybe encourage a game plan perhaps he's already smartly coming in with, which is the path of least resistance, which is the grapple Fialo. Hell, if this line was lower, I would probably pay him straight because uh, with the theme with the parlay pieces and shows how sketchy this card is, usually I can at least get one bonus. Not just cash one, but at least play one. If it's a two-leg or a three-leg, at least one of those is going to have a bonus legs. No bonus legs in any of these parlay pieces. And in fact, the reason why I'm using a minus 170 is because so much is chalked. And again, I can't I can't find angles I'm confident on. I feel like all the fighters I'm going to be picking for this parlay are finishers who will be going for the finish. And if they get it, it won't because of their lack of trying. But I just, I'm not confident they'll get it because of who's in front of them. We'll see. And not so much because who's in front of them because Fialo can be very hurt. But Baeza... You know, again, he could be fighting very smart kind of a thing. So it's, it's not the kind of thing I want to back inside the distance. That would be much more lower exposure. But I'm not as confident on it. He might get a decision. And I needed a third leg. <laughs> Sorry, Thick Willie. Not you. Spoiler alert. But uh, it's going to be Baeza. So Baeza is a leg of my parlay at minus 170. And you'll see why. Because the next leg is Chitara. 
uh, Myra Buena Silva, minus 525 now. Got her at minus 500 for this part I'm about to give you. But you'll still be able to pull out plus money if you want to tell me. You don't have to. Just giving you what I got. Uh, Wu Yanan, plus 385. You know my heart's with Chinese athletes and the unfair bullshit they get. In fact, just saw some more disappointing shit on my timeline today. Um, uh, get a lot of likes and some anti-Chinese bullshit. Um, but, like, yeah, it's it's it, it, that, that is life here on Twitter and America, I guess, whatever. Um, so I always root for these fighters to do well, but they're not put in the best position, you know, uh, to do well. And, you know, Wu looks like she's training a Jackson Wink, which I don't like. I didn't like that trends. I was watching her last fight because she only fought once in the last two years, and it was in 2021, beginning of it. And I'm like, oh, she looks like she's doing all the Jackson Wink shit for sure. And it's just that ineffective dancing when she's kind of a physical force and she needs to use her natural strength. Um, for top position, and when she did get her top positions, get Jocelyn Edwards. I know Edwards is athletic, but like the sweeps she was getting weren't like actual sweeps, and she was still sweeping her. Like I'm like that's pretty bad. Um, she's getting sweeped by that stuff. Credited as a blue belt, Uyanan Myra Bonasova as a purple belt, but the grappling seems like there's even a bigger difference than that. I think Bonasova will have an advantage, even though. Yunan Wu specializes in the armbar, which might be her saving grace. I've seen her caught in multiple armbars, and Shitara's got a really good armbar. Yunan Wu will be the slightly bigger and stronger fighter here. Bueno Silva coming up from 125. But keep in mind, Bueno Silva on the Contender Series and all her previous fights were at 135. She's pretty sizable. She's a physical girl, so it, it makes sense that she was, you know, in interviews saying how she didn't feel like herself. She was just like a zombie out there making bad decisions. It kind of explains a lot of the bad decisions and, and bad cardio, perhaps. Maybe she was fighting the weight cut more than we realize, if that is the case. Um, I expect to energize Myra Buenasova. Um, she'll still be landing the more damaging strikes, even if there's a slight size and strength advantage in close for Wu Yunnan. So if Wu Yunnan is able to eke out stretches of top control and this gets to the scorecards, I still think Buenasova should get, again, I know, I always get fucked here. But hey, I'm picking. I'm picking your mind. Swing hard, must hit hard, right? Even though it doesn't hit when fighting, because that logic always ranks. Uh, so I'm on the right side of that stupid logic. So we'll see if I'm on the right side, right? Uh, but I also think she's the more effective fighter, which is often lost. Effective, right? Um, but you gotta know what you're talking about to know efficacy. Um, but I think she will be, from what I've seen on the tape, uh, wherever this fight goes in the clinch. She is just a, a fucking machine there. Um, I think people went gave round two to uh, fucking Montana De La Rosa because of that bad body language. Like, she gets mounted uh, with with a minute to go. But literally, like, I know Eric Colon, and this is a, this is the card I was talking about. It was a week before Aljo, Aljo Jan won, Izzy, Izzy uh, Jan Bakovic. Um so they were still giving out more liberal 10-8s, and my guy Eric Colon goes 10-8 in round three for Buena Silva, which I didn't, I, I, I'm not going to haze him for like other people did. I didn't go 10-8, even though I was obviously a Shitara supporter there for many reasons, both critically and biasly. Um, but I will say that uh, it looked like everybody gave... She, so he did end up with the right score numerically, 29-27, as if you would have given like a 30-27 like I did. And it looks like everybody gave... Della Rosa round two. And the funny thing is, like, the reason why I don't give it to her, because, A, it's it's a minute of top control versus four minutes of straight damage. And that four minutes of straight damage before she loses the to, to bottom position in a minute, I actually was going to go 10-8 that round. I feel like round two would have had the argument for a 10-8 if it would have kept going. Because, dude, look, at she beats the piss 
I felt bad for Montana Del Rosa having to go back and watch that. I mean, that's how hard she beats the piss out of her and still lost. Of course, a Dan Tom Bet women's fight, so keep that in mind. No, just kidding, but you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, she only so it's so it's, so it's, it's getting the piss beat out of you for four minutes versus one minute of control, and the strikes. She does a t t t uh, attack a submission, which I do give Del Rosa credit for, but the only strikes she lands are like illegal ones to the back of the head. And Buena Silva's like going like it looks like in the commentary criticizes Silva that she's she's asking for a stand up when she's mounted, but if you look at it like she's not asking for a stand up she's like ref you took a point from me for doing illegal shit yet she just teed off ten straight strikes to the back of the head and you haven't said a damn thing, um you know so uh, there's that um but yeah we'll see I think I got the more damaging fighter here so uh, I don't know if she'll get the submission finish or even a TKO because she hits really hard uh, but uh. You know, I'll, I'll take the money line uh, and pair it with a third leg for plus money, which is Pat Sabatini, Patty Sabs, Philly, Philly represent getting getting gritty with Philly. Uh, yeah, I got Pat Sabatini over here, minus 550, TJ Laramie, plus 400. Um, always nice of John <laughs> give me credit on the broadcast for that fight, even though I didn't fucking pick Laramie. <laughs> I picked Laramie, actually, but I just said watch out for the guillotine joke, but I'll take the credit nonetheless. Appreciate that shout, John. Um Laramie, man, I know he got a lot of hype on the regional scene, but, you know, he's kind of a short stout, um, likes to wrestle. I don't know if he has a wrestling base. Brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, he's a competent kickboxer. Looks more comfortable kickboxing than Sabatini, but also looks more vulnerable kickboxing. Like, he can really, not just because his stature and reach, but he looks like he can be rocked. So, even though he's probably a better striker than Sabatini, um, I could totally see Sabatini rocking him, like, with a left hook or a head kick. Um, Sabatini can actually throw pretty accurate head kicks or spitting kicks, even though it's not his thing, nor should it be. Um, he, he, he really gets to, gets it to his world, which is the clinch and grappling and the small cage will encourage that. Uh, I do think he's the better wrestler. I do think that Laramie maybe is more of a better, at least more dedicated shot wrestler of the two and perhaps could catch Sabatini off guard, but Sabatini, not just a wrestler. He is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, uh, and one that trains, uh, is black belts under um, Daniel Gracie, but his uh, he does also train with like Donaher Death Squad guys and all the leg lockers. So he's up to up to snuff on all the leg locks. So I warned you all about before we face Jamal Emmers. Uh, Pat Sabatini's been good to me. Um, I'm gonna go with him here. Perhaps it's that bias. Uh, and uh, but yeah, I I, I like. Uh, although I think I, I picked him, but stayed away from him last time. So it's not like I'm just blindly trying to bet this guy each time out. Um, TJ Laramie could certainly make this fight closer and, uh, you know, could prevent the finish. So, but I know Pat's going to be going for it. So again, it's, it's tough to, to find a method. So I just took, took the, took the chalk. Um, I took Pat at, at 520, uh, Bueno Silva 500 and Baeza minus 170, which he's the only one that's still at that price. And that was like plus 127. Even with these slight inflations, I think you could still pull plus, uh, plus number if you tell me on that three leg. Um, next fight, Munir Laziz minus 180, Angelusa plus 155. If you took Angelusa like his opener, I don't blame you. This is going to be an ugly fight. Angelusa looks like he's getting better, which he should be. You know, he's one of the dudes that came from the Congo. Uh, he moved over to Pace or something, like France or something. And, uh, like, you know, I've been training with, like, Usman and, like, Black Zilling, like from like back in those days, and like been training with like you know Sanford or dudes for a while. It looks like a UFC like 
game fighter where like he always needs his, his, his he needs like time to reset his stamina the way he throws combinations like it looks like you're just throwing it out of a game it looks kind of like robotic he looks clearly athletic like he fits the part that way but he doesn't have a lot of flow a lot of the stuff feels very robotic to me now he's getting much better at it and he could certainly make this fight ugly but it's weird like it's he's also a guy who like Ang Luce looks like he has rocked in every fight, but he also looks ridiculously durable when he recovers, you know? Like, he needs his moment to reset, but it's not because he's, like, outright gassing. He just needs to kind of, like, again, like a video game, he just needs his mini resets because he can still, he doesn't gas out, and he doesn't not come hard in third rounds. <laughs> Phrasing. But, you know, he, he, but he's always getting hurt, and he always needs his time to reset. Um, so I think for that alone, and, and the, the reach and length advantage, um, I'm going to take Munir Lizez. You know, Lizez showed some good grappling and stuff too as far as like takedowns and takedown defense uh, against Razak Al-Hassan, who was a, a judo champ in his own right. Um, Angelusa is not, even though he's got some good level-changing takedowns. I think he can get this fight ugly. It's going to be in the small cage. It's probably going to be an ugly fight where if Lizez doesn't get a finish, it's going to be uh, scorecards where, where you're, you're arguing over control and Angelusa's power shots you're not sure landing versus the more uh, cleaner and consistent and numerical work of Lazez. I'm, of course, I'm going to go with the more technical guy. My bias has me leaning, but it's not a confident pick here at all. I'm going to go Lazez actually even by decision, but uh, he's probably going to need a finish. Otherwise, it's going to be sketchy. Um, Angelusa by decision, maybe look there if you're going to bet him now. Uh, even though plus 155 is still a plus number, just saying if you want to juice that up or take any shots there it's it's dogger pass in my opinion um devin clark you gotta fight god damn it you just, just get up get up and fight uh with david clark in his corner i'm not gonna be able to fight. like we're gonna need a camera i'm gonna be giggling so hard because he's fighting that's right baby thick willie william knight willie fucking thickums plus 150 thick rary son I mean, I'm already just giggling at everything Thick Willie does because for, for you guys that don't know, I know you're like, oh, Dan, you're, you're, you're just, you know, if you're racist against anybody, it's against athletes, which, you know, arguably true, <laughs> uh, you know, or Dan, you're a, you're a technical hipster nerd. Uh, you only like technical guys and you like technique and then everything. Okay. I, fair enough. Fair enough. All these fair enough criticisms on your boy here. Um, that being said, hopefully you guys can see the gen both the sincerity, but also the uh, gimmickness for a guy that lives the gimmick uh, as hard as William Knight and my appreciation for him. Obviously, I don't think this guy's a world beater. People get so mad when I pick him. Like, Why you pick William Knight? I didn't even I didn't even pick him last time, uh, folks, because um, that was a card where I got like every pick right besides the main event. Um, but like, yeah, I didn't even pick him last time, folks. But people get so mad, like. Obviously, I just enjoy that he's just a a big giant um, ball of thickness and muscle. Um, you know, I just love how upset people get at the weightlifting and stuff. It's like you know, like this and that, like. Um, but yeah, I love him, man. I love Thick Willie. Like the dude should set up an OnlyFans just for weightlifting. You know, if this UFC thing doesn't go, I'd, I'd fucking support him. Like he, he he's the man. You know, thick thick Riri son, and then David Clark. Who's the man over Devin Clark? I mean, in the corner, like, David Clark is just fucking great. I was I was losing it. I was going to uh, record the podcast in the wee hours this morning when I was falling asleep at, like, 5 or 6 in the morning, and then I, I watched the, a, 
David Clark in the corner listened to him, and I just immediately got pumped up because I was just laughing. Just like, you got to fight, God damn it. And it's funny, like, listening to the commentators, like, trying to speak through his, because even though he's not mic'd, he's still, like, speaking through the broadcast. That's how loud this man is, especially in the pandemic era. Oh, it's fucking amazing. And listen to the commentators, like, trying to keep a straight face and, like, not pay attention to the elephant in the room that is David Clark. Um, so I just, I need, like, a live cam. I'm just going to be laughing so hard in this fight. I'm actually going to pick Thick Willie. Um, he, he outweighed him by 25 pounds on the weigh-in today. By the way, I, I, for Team Teddy Bear is representing. We got two members of Team Teddy Bear. We got uh, Devin Clark, who looks like you know MMA fighters, who looks like they're building a Build-A-Bear factory, and Dracar Close. Um, the third member of Team Pet Teddy Bear was who, if you want to laugh with a visual image, uh, check this out. Uh, the third member of Team Teddy Bear is Darren Wynn, who I initially thought Thick Willie was going to fight at heavyweight. Um, which, by the way, Darren Wynn like, has fought at 205 and heavyweight before, I believe, as small as he is. He's like 5'5". Five, five. Could you imagine that? Like, Thick Willie, I was laughing because I'm like, Thick Willie's going to toss him out of the cage. <laughs> He's just going to throw him. <laughs> by the way, that right there, that high-pitched Homer Simpson giggles kind of thing that I do, that's going to be me this whole fucking fight between just Thick Willie just like fucking just, you know, just doing whatever Thick Willie fucking does and is feeling, throwing spin kicks and shit like his last fight. Like, of course, like, conserve energy. <laughs> He's he's throwing spin kicks. He's smashing Christian. That is me. That is the recap. Uh, I'm picking William Knight. Also, um, he's probably pissed at what last time because he was sick. Got a lot of shit from people. I'm sure there's a story of why he missed that much aside from it being short notice. And then Devin Clark, like. You know, he's showing his heart. You know, he got, he got his, his his teeth knocked out with that Ewan Cute Lava fight. But Jesus, Keith Peterson. Like, you got to stop that, buddy. Um, but um, that's another thing to watch, too, is, like, De- 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 Devin Clark gets hurt. Not even just when he gets, like, knocked out by, like, by the way. I think he got knocked out by, like, a stupid check hook kind of thing, like, from uh, Alex Nicholson, of all people. Did he not? Um, so, like, William Knight could do one of those things, too. But also... It's like when a fighter breaks their nose really badly and they and they go into the next fight, uh, I, I don't like to pick them because I feel like it just takes one time to get their nose hit and now you're it's like holding your breath. You're like, how are they going to react? Is that going to break them and get in their head? Because, you know, injuries can get in your head, man. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing for sure. Um, and Devin Clark having his teeth fucking knocked out and he's got thick Riri sound in front of him. Like, yeah, I think that's going to play in his head. A guy who already looks like he's fighting himself and his father uh, to throw punches. Like, he's just really fighting his demons in there. He's, he's, uh, shouts to uh, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush in the video section, as they'll, they'll sometimes uh, say he's having himself a therapy session in there. Um, whereas William Knight, he's just like, just trying to get his fucking reps in. Like, he's like, I'm going to flex and bust out of here. Uh, that being said, William Knight could obviously be wrestled. He's an underdog for a reason. Um, I'm not playing him or telling you to play him for a reason, although I'm picking him here. My heart's with you, and just like Pitbull, I'd be tempted to play some Thick Willie, but being responsible and trying to be disciplined, um, I couldn't make an official play here, but that's that's my pick. I think he can win. Uh, Penny Kean's at minus 335. Uh, Lena Landsberg in uh, plus 330. was initially going to look at Penny as a third leg, but now it probably wouldn't even have been plus money. And I'm like, do I really want to fucking go into two chalky uh, women's fights? Dan, did you not learn your lesson? Um, 
Nina Landsbergen, though, she's like 40 coming off of a pregnancy. We'll see where she's at. Um, Penny Kianza has been improving. She's clearly the pick here. Jakar close minus 630 despite not being recovered from that shove from Jeremy Stevens. And I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying it's just a strange scenario. But stylistically, it makes sense. Brandon Jenkins plus 450. Uh, taking Jakar close, not much to be said. Just the experience and styming style of close. Uh, but who knows what condition he's going to be in. And minus 630 ain't helping my parlays. So I stayed away, motherfucker. It's just one of those days. It's all about the he says, she says, Jesse Ronson. Got to get shit, make southpaws quick. Or he's getting hit with a USADA dip. I don't even know what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, Jesse Ronson minus 120, Rafa Garcia plus 100. If I got Ronson at plus money, he might have been a play. I think he's underrated. Um, did well last time out against Dalby, but then had that no contest. Had to go back out to the regional scene. Always had tough matchups rooting for him to get some official UFC winnings here. Rafa Garcia kind of overrated. Not sure what he's going to get from Southpaws. Not sure if he was training with Gaethje and the gang up there. But um, except for when Dober briefly stopped in like last year or so, uh, I haven't really seen a Southpaw mix in with that camp. So uh, I'm going to go with the experienced Southpaw and Ronson. Don't blame anybody playing him. But I haven't researched it, so don't fall off that cliff because I'm not playing it. I didn't research it. Chris Barnett plus 195. Martin Bode. Hey, Bode. All right, Bode. Pedro Munoz, minus 240. <laughs> um, I didn't even go back to look at what I wrote for his uh, grading the winners for Contender Series. Um, I'll pick him here, but I'll probably be rooting for Chris Barnett, man. How can you not root for that guy? Um, Trey Ogden, minus 145. Jordan, you love it at Levitt's, plus 125. I'll take Jordan Levitt. No play, no research, no intel. Estela Nunez. Uh, before I got scared off of the women thing, was maybe thinking about researching this one, then just backed off, minus 225. Sam Hughes plus 185. Um, Sam Hughes just got here way too fast, like I was when I was breaking down the Torres fight with her fight with Torres. Nunez not Torres, obviously, but still. Um, she actually looks like she um, makes more sense for her to be here, I guess, in that sense, so I'll pick her. Haile uh, Alatang, minus 180. Kevin Kroon plus 155. Um, taking Alateng highly, can't trust, um, I think he'll land the harder shots and can't trust Kevin Kroom's porous takedowns to, uh, get his action going in the grappling department where he probably has his best chance to pull off an upset. All right. Recapping. Sorry. How long? A long one. How, how, how short was my expedited episode this week, guys? Wow. Hour and 45 again. How did I do it? Um, all right. Take, uh, Bellator 277, taking Nemkov uh, over Anderson. Uh, inside the distance will be what I would play, but I haven't. Not sure I am. Probably going to say out. Just like with Pitbull, who I'm taking over McKee, but haven't played it. Um, taking UFC recap, main recap here. Uh, picks and plays. Taking Luke over Muhammad. Taking Bohio over Omar Gadziev. Taking Baeza over Fialo. Taking Chitara Bueno Silva over Wu Yanan. Taking. Patty Sab, Savitzini over Laramie. Taking Lazez over Lusa. Taking Thick Willie. Willie fucking Thickums over Devin. You gotta fight that there! Clark. Uh, taking um, Kianzan over Lena Lonsbergen. Taking Close over Jenkins. Taking Ronson over Garcia. Taking Hepburn over. 
Barnett taking Lovett at Levitz over Ogden, taking Nunez over Hughes, taking Alatang over Kroom. Parlayed Sabatini, Silva, and Baeza at plus 127 for one unit. Played Bohio at plus 111 for three quarter units. And Luque inside the distance at plus 130 for one unit. Those are the only plays. Kept it a short shotgun spread. Not trying to lose my ass on what's ultimately a sketchy card. Sorry for the long and passionate recap. That's why we have the timestamps. You don't have to agree with me, but do the work and show your work. Good luck on your picks and plays, and always protect your necks.